Bonus prompt. Hobby participants should solely focus on cards or players they love rather than diversifying their collection. Agree or disagree? <laughs> That's such a another binary question here. Welcome back to Fondling Cardboard. I'm your host, Mike LaCousta, aka The Golf Card Collector. Today is part four of our four-part series of Collector versus Investor, where I provide a binary biased prompt, as Jason always likes to point out at the beginning of our episodes, and allow some members of the community who are just like you, sports cards enthusiasts of all walks of life. I intentionally picked people from different backgrounds who participate in the hobby in very different ways so that we would have a well-rounded conversation to get to the bottom of how we should be participating in this silly hobby of collecting trading cards. Now I promise I saved the best for last. I realized this has got to be the finale. This has got to be the one that leaves us all thinking. The prompt may seem trivial. Should you focus on collecting players you love or focus on diversifying. Yet, when you unpack just a handful of opinions, I learned my biggest lesson on this little series that we've put together. And you better wait around to the end because in the Card of the Week spotlight, I will be revealing my favorite card of all time. And I promise it's not what you expect. So, without further ado, we're going to kick it off with Jason here we go. I disagree. I would say, I'd say diversify to your heart's delight. It's your collection. Focus on absolutely whatever you'd like for whatever reason you like. Jason, I really appreciate your well-rounded perspective and bringing some grounding to this conversation. And you may have single-handedly just opened my eyes to how binary my thinking can be. You know, that I should probably be more considerate about what others want to do in the hobby. And next up, we have Dan from Leave the Pin Podcast. Dan's a baseball card collector. I'm sure you already know a little bit about Dan from the earlier parts of this series. So without further ado. I kind of see both sides to this coin, but as to not live in a gray area, I'm going to make it black and white. I think you should collect who is important to you. And I think that you should collect to players that you love, teams that you love. Um, otherwise, if you don't love those cards, you're doing it purely for an investor's sake, you know, purely for an investment in the hobby. As I look around my card room now, I have probably one of the biggest Harrison Bader collections out there. And people will say, well, who's Harrison Bader? Well, he was a center fielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. Played with them for five years. Went to the Yankees, now plays on the Reds. I have an actual personal connection with him. I met him at a camp, a private camp that my son attended that we got him for a Christmas present one year. And he autographed some stuff for my son. He, he talked to my oldest son and I. You know, We got to sit and actually spend some kind of uh, uncensored time with him. So those cards mean the world to me. But at one point, I did have his Chrome Rookie Superfractor, a one-of-one, one, which I bought for $600. I 
and it was the end of the rainbow that I had started to collect for his rookie cards. Well, when he got traded to the Yankees and went crazy in the playoffs and started hitting home runs here and there, I sold that card for over $3,000. I hated to see it go, but I knew there was no way in the world that that card was ever going to achieve a price higher than that. So I let it go in hopes, or at least in knowing that in the future, I'll be able to buy that back at a lot less. And let me tell you, a $2,400 profit on a card can fund a lot of personal collection cards. And it also helped me get into the golf card hobby. Dan, you gave a perfect example of flipping a card for a profit of a player that you have a personal connection to, Harrison Bader. And that's a great point because it's a, it's a player that means the world to you. And if they have cards that never fluctuated in price, you'd probably be happy keeping the card for $600. And in fact, you said you'd hate to see it go. But if the price skyrockets like it did, then you can take a $2,400 profit. So it's like playing both sides of this debate. You collected the player you loved, and no matter what happens, you win. If he fades into obscurity, happy collecting. If he goes on a hot streak, flip for profit. And I couldn't have said it better myself. It's It almost makes me okay with kind of identifying as a flipper. And with that, let's hear from our resident flipper, Paul Hickey, host of the Sports Card Strategy Show and the NoOffSeason.com podcast network. And let's hear what Paul has to say about this topic. Mike and audience members, I love you. But this whole conversation makes me uncomfortable. Here's why. I believe everything should be allowed in the hobby and we shouldn't judge each other. I'm dead serious. So you're going to ask me, hobby participants could solely focus on cards or players they love rather than diversifying their collection? Do I agree with that? I don't agree with that because there's the word should in it. I don't think anyone should do anything. I don't think I have the right or any of us have the right to say that anyone should do anything. So if you want to only collect players you love and then judge people for not collecting only players that they love, I guess that's allowed. <laughs> but, but to be quite honest with you, that's for you, not for me. For me, like, I don't care if you have a collection of players that you love, your kids love, your 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 significant other loves, your 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 parents loved, you know, your your aunt or uncle loved. It it, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I just don't feel like we should be debating this stuff. I feel like we should be supporting each other. I think what drives me to understand collectors versus flippers, and I'm a flipper. I love flipping cards. I love transacting. I love transacting with people in the hobby. And I love trying to challenge myself to make money in the process because I think that's hard. Quite frankly, I think collecting is easy. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I think collecting is easy. I think anyone can go out and buy stuff. Okay? So go out and buy stuff, but challenge yourself to have a why behind what you're buying. Why are you buying that? What are you going to do when you're faced with the decision to sell it? Don't you want to it? Have it gone up in value over the years? Don't you want it to have increased in value? So challenge yourself not to just go buy anything. Because 
you might look at people like me and say, ah, you're a flipper. You're an investor. You're not a purist. You know what? Fine. But guess what? I'm proud of you and I support you as long as you know your why. And as long as you're making it a little bit harder on yourself than just going out and buying stuff and being a hoarder. Don't be a hoarder. Challenge yourself. So if that's only collecting players you love, fine. But I got news for you. The players that you love are going to change. And one day, a player you loved for a bunch of years, you might not love them anymore. So what are you going to do with that? You want your collection to have increased in value, okay? So consider what you're buying. Consider how you're defining things. And don't judge people. I'm out. All right, Paul. If I ruffled your feathers or anyone else who's out there, fair enough. People don't always agree with every take. And I decided to make these debate prompts as firmly positioned as I could to provoke some firm stances on either side of the fence. But what I've noticed is that the, the fair take always lays somewhere in the middle. It's a lot like politics that way, and maybe I opened a can of worms by setting up the conversation like this. At the risk of upsetting you even more, Paul, I'm going to play devil's advocate to some of the points you just made before telling you what I really think. So you said, none of us have the right to say someone should do something. Generally speaking, you should not judge people. I hear you, man. Now, the only reason that I can think of is if you think someone has an accountability, an accountability to their audience, their friends, the community at large. And I think a lot of people have been frustrated with, let's just say, influencers uh, flipper investor content creators have not always respected that responsibility they have to their audience. I'm not saying that you have done anything foul, Paul, or any of your associates. If an investor flipper tells everyone to buy a certain card, and if they know that there are very specific windows of time, or if they happen to have a large quantity of those cards that they plan on dumping and they perform a dump and pump scheme, it can only be responsible if they share every single facet of the situation to their audience. And I think it's hard for them to do that. I think there are some uh, sketchy players out there who have done pump and dumping and given investment advice that was not sound intentionally. Those creators should be ashamed of themselves. However, what I really respect about what you do, Paul, is you are very clear about the mission of you on a personal level as well as your programs, and you tell the precise windows of time that the cards that you are recommending uh, will go up and potentially back down again. And you lay out the plan in a very concise way. And so I think that you do this content the right way. And I appreciate that you tell your audience the risks involved and that if they don't follow the instructions to a T, that they won't maximize profits or in some cases may lose out. So none of us have the right to say someone should do something the only situation I can think of is if the alternative is an unethical action. In that case, I think that we should tell them they should or should not do something. 
I think the nuance really comes down to understanding flippers and collectors alike and understanding individuals. There are some collectors who have done unethical things. There are people who have set up at shows to rip off kids. And that was that was the main drama that was happening in the hobby back in the 90s and early 2000s. Things have really escalated since then. And it's not my job as a current events analyst to spread the news. That's not really what I'm all about. I just wanted to raise a little bit of awareness now that you brought up whether or not we should say that people should do or not do things. And actually, you know what, Paul, I'm sure that you would probably agree with what I just said. Now, I'll take a step back from some of this dramatic talk and say, if you collect a player you love, that's great. If you want to collect players you don't love for whatever reason, then so be it. At the end of the day, if you want to participate in the hobby, you can participate however you want as long as you're not hurting somebody else or doing what a lot of people would consider to be unethical things. And Paul, I appreciate that you love transacting and I appreciate that you love the challenge of that. I love collecting and I love the challenge of collecting. Collecting is not always easy. If you collect a player and you buy random cards of that player that pop up on eBay whenever you want, that is easy. That is impulse buying. That is impulse collecting. But if you are a set collector and you can create a project, plan it out, look at the cards that will be easy or difficult to collect and acquire, and you pursue those cards not only on eBay and whatever saved searches you can do on other platforms, but you scour the internet, you scour social media pages for people who have collected that card because it's rare and it may not ever come up on eBay. Collectors want cards that do not pop up. And you build a network, a community, and friendships. And you get to know who collects what. And you share cards uh, to someone who may want it. And you connect them with the owner and maybe they transact. You keep an eye out for your own grail cards. And you develop rapport and friendships with people um, that you know in person or just online so that one day if they decide to move on from that card, you're the one who pops up in their mind. So in my mind, collecting can be easy or collecting can be very fulfilling and a, a significant challenge. If you don't collect the cards that flood the market every day that everybody already has. Now, Paul, here's a challenge for you. You give investment and flipping advice based on what's hot, common cards that are going to be very liquid. I challenge you to create a process or even just one example or case study of flipping and investing in a card that is rare, a card that true collectors want, not the base rookies or silver rookies or... Uh, tops now cards of the first printing of a player that will be obscure and no, not relevant two years from now, I challenge you to find iconic parallels and cards, rare inserts, things that collectors obsess over and find a way to make money on that. All right. We got a little heated there. We're going to shift it back to the collector's perspective. My friend James Peacock has shared some of his thoughts on today's topic. 
maybe people should start collecting with 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 players that they love um that way they get excited about it and sort of you know every purchase you kind of know um you know you're adding to your personal collection of people that you love to watch and people that you're rooting for so i don't think out of the gate it's it's you know i i'll agree with that if it's like maybe for for people that are getting started but if we're speaking just general terms i would have to probably disagree because i'm a set collector myself so there are a lot of golfers out there that if I was not a set collector and I didn't spend time looking through my binders and reading every single card, sort of the front and the back of it, um, there are plenty of golfers I probably would have never known about. Um, like old Tom Morris, like I knew about him, but I didn't never really researched him until I got into golf cards. Um, people like Lee Elder, right, who got to play in the Masters, the first African-American to play in the Masters. Um, I think he just has like a pro set card, but I thought – I, I was shocked that I never knew about him or um, Calvin Pete. He's in the the Donruss and he had like, he, he was like the most successful African-American golfer prior to Tiger Woods. Um, I feel like he had over 10 wins. He was like, he had the most, he had driving accuracy. So that card always stood out to me was he was a great driver of the card or of the ball. And I think he was like the number one accurate driver for like 10 years on tour straight. Uh, which is an incredible feat. So those kind of stats I would have never even known about or learned about if I wasn't a set collector, if I only collected a few of my favorite golfers. Um, so I think broad strokes, people should diversify their collection. And who knows, you might find a, a golfer or a player that you eventually will love that you don't. So I think it's a little closed-minded to only collect people that you love. Um, but if that's if that's your thing and that's what you want to do, you know that's awesome. But I personally love having a few golfers that I that I have a lot of cards on, and then there are you know collecting sets, which allows me to get at least one or two of those key rookies or key cards of people that maybe aren't my favorite, but they're cool and I get to learn about them along the way. So hopefully that helps uh, answer some of that question. I'm really curious what others have to say about it because um, I definitely understand the appeal of having just like a single player and having your whole collection around it. It keeps it simple. It keeps it less overwhelming. I think it allows you to be a little bit more strategic and smart about your purchases where I kind of go a little nuts and buy everything because I'm always looking to complete a new set or a subset. You know what, James? You are sly. You hit on something that I hadn't even thought of, which is that set building actually uh, forces you to collect players that you don't love or even know about and you're absolutely right um i was thinking for some reason uh narrowly within a subset of collecting which is player collecting but uh what's interesting is there's so many other ways to collect there's set collecting as you touched on there is parallel collecting so if you like prism gold parallels you may collect some players that you don't necessarily care as much about just because you love the card and the shininess and the way it looks. And in the examples that you gave with Lee Elder and Tom Morris and others, you can actually become a fan of that player that you weren't before, that you didn't expect. And I'm actually surprised Dan missed this point earlier in this episode because he's such a traditional baseball card set collector. So Great job, James, opening our eyes to uh, uh, disagreeing to this prompt from the collector side. I think between yourself and Paul and all the feedback we got today, uh, 
this prompt has been disproven. It is okay, whether you're a collector, flipper, whatever you do in the hobby, to not just collect players you love, but diversify, collect anything that you want. As I was trying to decide on the card of the week spotlight this week, I look back at the theme of this episode. Should you collect players you love or diversify? And although my eyes were opened to the fact that there are a lot of reasons you might collect cards of players you don't love, I'm going to choose one of my favorite players and my favorite cards of all time for the Card of the Week Spotlight. Are you ready? Is it a big one? No. No, it is a very measly card, in fact, in terrible condition. Probably a card that none of you listeners have heard of before. This is a 1994 National Sports Collectors Convention promo card of Michael Jordan. It is a very rare limited edition card out of 5,000. (laughs) So clearly it is not scarce and rare, although it's got a beautiful style. It's got a, a border around the image of the card on the front. And the image has like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it's not a refractor. It's not ice crystals. It's almost like super fractor kind of circles, uh, but just on the border. There is a signature. It's not an actual on-card autograph, but it's a script autograph. Uh, and it says, retired October 6th. 1993. Now just imagine, imagine Michael Jordan actually retired in 1993 and didn't come back to go on that Bulls bull run. Now, the thing that makes this card extra special is that Michael Jordan is playing golf on this card, which is, I guess, what he did a lot of in his retirement. And actually, I'm told he did a lot of it in his playing days as well. When he traveled to a new city, he'd find out their best golf course, book a tee time. In some cases, it would butt right up next to uh, when he he needed to show up at the arena to to get ready for warm-ups. But uh, he was known for playing 36 holes on his off days between between games. Uh, Just an absolute beast on the golf course. And um, this actually, I said this is my favorite card, I'll take that back. My favorite card, this was my favorite card, up until I found out that there's another variation of this promo that is a landscape instead of portrait uh, orientation. And it has this exact card on one side and on the other side, it's a picture of Michael Jordan in his Bulls uniform taking a jump shot in game. And, And that one I think is my favorite card even though I normally prefer portrait orientation rather than landscape or horizontal, uh, it just, showing the mirror of his two sports side by side uh, with all of the same, you know, super fractor stylings that I just described, um, that that one is extra special to me. Now this card comes in a couple parallels. I believe one of them is either called silver or platinum or something like that. It's basically the one that's silver and that's the one I'm holding in my hand right now. And the other variation is gold. And I think I do actually have this in a gold as well somewhere. Uh, But the one that I have that's horizontal, 
uh, that one is gold. So anyways, thanks for bearing with me describing the visuals on an audio-only podcast, but uh, I, th- I hope it paints a picture. If you do want to actually see the card, check out my Instagram. I will post it on at Fondling Cardboard, and I will share that on my stories on my personal Instagram at The Golf Card Collector. Thank you for tuning in to this four-part series of Collector versus Investor. I hope you got a lot out of it, as much as I did. As you can tell, my mind has been changed. And I really say uh, a big thank you to Paul Hickey for uh, talking about the investor and flipping side of the argument and bringing a well-rounded conversation to the podcast. You can follow Paul on Instagram at Sports Card Strategy. You can check out his podcast and YouTube channel, which is also Sports Card Strategy. Or you could just head to his website that directs traffic to all of his different content, which is nooffseason.com. Thank you so much to Jason, who is at Ginter Gold Fever. I don't know if Jason has a formal podcast or uh, content platform. However, if you check out his Instagram, uh, he puts together very well thought out, high quality content in forms of uh, specialty reels and uh, arrangements to really bring out the artistry of the particular types of cards that he collects. The word that comes into my mind is rustic and almost washed out, yet with a timeless elegance to it. Anyway, that's coming from someone who knows nothing about Alan and Ginter cards, but you can definitely tell he absolutely loves that said. He's all in as a collector, and keep doing what you do, man. Thank you. A big thank you to Dan from Leave the Pin Podcast. I have mentioned this a few times already, but if you, the listener, are a golf fan, check out Paul's podcast, Leave the Pin, where he covers golf in a lot of different ways. He covers current events, players, uh, what's happening on tour, on all tours, and uh, shares some personal stories, occasionally has different guests, Uh, course reviews of uh, Pinehurst, for example. So anyways, just check out Dan's golf content and uh, connect with him uh, if you like baseball cards because that's his main sport. I'm working on it. One of these days, he'll have an impressive golf collection too. And thank you to James Peacock for providing a very pure collector's perspective on every topic. I really appreciate all the comments that you had to say. Uh, They were very well thought out. I can tell that you are very passionate about the cards that you collect. Uh, James has mentioned that he's thought about producing content um, about golf cards in particular. So if you want more golf content out there, give James a follow at James Peacock. Send him a DM or feel free to reach out to him through me and let us know what you'd like to see. And last but certainly not least, thanks to you, the listener, because without you, I would just be talking into a black hole. We all know I would probably still be doing it, but it's a lot more fun when somebody's listening.